Well, I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, uh, beginning a new sermon series uh, today. If you don't mind, I'm going to take off my coat. I think most of you know I've been a little bit under the weather, and I definitely don't want to get overheated and begin coughing on you. Uh, but our new sermon series is Excelling in Our Love uh, for One Another. I introduced this uh, last week uh, by uh, uh, looking at a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 as we uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper uh, last Sunday. And uh, if you were not here, let me just uh, uh, share what I mentioned at that point. I basically took the opportunity to uh, commend the church as Paul commended the church at Thessalonica there in 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, what he commended them for and what I commended you for is your love for one another. Uh, I mentioned I've been here at Edgewood for uh, over 40 years now. And the thing that impacted me about Edgewood Baptist Church from the moment I arrived to this very day, two things. The, the centrality of God's Word. That the Word of God is central to everything that we are, everything that we do. But not only the centrality of God's Word, but as we focus on God's Word, God's Word's transforming power to enable us to love one another. And so I've seen the beautiful character of Christ expressed through so, so many of you. And I took the opportunity last Sunday to commend the church family uh, for demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ uh, to one another over all these years. But then I also took the opportunity, as Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 4, to exhort you to excel even more. And that's what Paul did there in that chapter, he said, oh, I praise you for your love for one another. It's an amazing thing to see, but don't rest on your laurels now. You excel even more. You continue to increase. You continue to abound in the love of Jesus Christ. And so what I shared with you in this sermon series, we're basically going to walk through the one another passages in the New Testament. There are over 30 of those, and uh, we'll walk just through those. Some of those will... Uh, uh, combine, uh, but it sh I trust it to be a wonderful, wonderful study. And this first lesson, as you see there in your notes, is the practice of genuine love within the church. And we're focusing on uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 uh, through 13. And of course, the one another passage that you find in those verses is verse 10, when he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another uh, in, in honor. Uh, you know, I heard a story about a, a man that was walking down the street, and he uh, uh, passed a, a used bookstore. He was going past a used bookstore, and he looked in the window, and he saw a book, and the title of the book called his attention. It was How to Love, How to Hug, How to Hug. Well, he was a little bit of a romantic, and like I say, it caught his attention, so he thought that might be an interesting read. So he went in to uh, buy the book, but it, what he discovered was uh, it was a volume of an encyclopedia that went from the word how to the word hug. And uh, my point in sharing that is, you know, many people come uh, to church, uh, and uh, they're hoping to see a demonstration of love uh, sadly, only to discover an encyclopedia of theology. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, right thinking, right knowledge about God is everything. Uh, correct theology is everything. Uh, that is, provides the foundation. 
Christianity is about believing certain truths about the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. But uh, it's more than just believing certain truths. Christianity is about belonging to a family. And belonging to a family where love is to rule supreme uh, in our midst. Uh, these verses are not in your sermon notes, but just to give you a, a flavor of this emphasis in the uh, New Testament, Ephesians 1.5, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm writing so that you'll know how to live in the family of God, and that family is the church. Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Romans 12.5, in Christ we who are many form what? One body, and each member, I love this, belongs to all the others. Uh, Colossians uh, 3.4, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 1 John 4, 21, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, Paul said, but the goal, the goal of our instruction, the goal of our teaching, the goal of our preaching, the goal of our discipling is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And, of course, you all know 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that great love chapter where he says, but now abide faith hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Is love. So look there at the introduction of your notes. Again, we're looking at uh, Romans 12, 9 through 13. That's our focus, but I, in the introduction, I want you to see the context in which you find these verses. So in the introduction, notice genuine love flows out of a surrendered life to God. Let me give this, this entire statement out, and then we'll go back and break it up a little bit. Genuine love flows out of a surrendered life to God as God transforms my mind to think as He thinks. So genuine love flows out of a surrendered life to God as God transforms my mind to think as He thinks, which results in investing, investing my life to build up the church family through sacrificial involvement in the lives of others. I know that's a loaded statement, but that is a real good summary of a Romans chapter 12. Uh, notice there uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, where we see that where all this begins with love is a surrendered heart to God. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, as you look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the salvation that is, that, that is given you, that in eternal salvation, that abundant life, that demands you to respond in a reciprocating love. So he says you respond to those mercies, you respond to God's salvation by what? Presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So that's where love begins, a surrendered life. I don't have love in and of myself. Left to myself, I'm a very selfish, arrogant, 
prideful individual. But as I surrender my life to God, Romans 5 says, the Holy Spirit fills me with the very love of God. And the person of the Holy Spirit begins to do something. And what does he begin to do? He begins to transform me. Look at that uh, next uh, uh, sentence there in that verse. And do not be conformed to what? This world. Now, what is the world? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 mentions three things. The lust of the what? Flesh, talking about selfishness. The lust of the eyes, talking about materialism, just wanting more and more. Increasing my standard of living where it's all about me, my wants, my needs, my comfort, my convenience. And then the pride of life, wanting to be put up on a pedestal, wanting to be noticed, wanting to receive the applause of men. Well, as I surrender my life to God, and as the Holy Spirit begins to occupy my life, possess my life, control and influence my life, what happens? He begins to break down that selfishness. He begins to break down that materialism, that pride. And I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might prove what the will of God is, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then as you continue in that passage we see that that surrendered life transformed by the Holy Spirit produces something. And it produces a life that invests in the family of God. In verse 3 through 8, which is not there in your notes, it mentions individuals who are given gifts within the church family. We all are given a unique spiritual gift or gifts. And we take those gifts, we take all that we are, all that we possess, and we realize we're to invest it in the lives of others, to build up others, to strengthen others, to support others. And the way we exercise those gifts is in sacrificial involvement in the lives of others. And that's what Romans 9, 12, 9 through 13 is all, all about. Now, notice that next point in your note, notes, an important point to remember. Although the focus in Romans 12, 9 through 13 is love within the church, this also has application to reaching the lost outside the church. The credibility of the gospel and the success of our evangelistic endeavors will rise or fall on how we relate to one another within the family of God. A church united by the love of Christ is the only thing that will convince a lost world of the claims of Christ. It's our love for one another that provides credibility for the gospel as we advance it in the world. And let me just give you several verses to emphasize this. John 13, this is Jesus' own words, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And how are we to love one another? He says, you're to love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. And he says, by this by that love that you have for one another, by that demonstration of love, he says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. 
And then John 17, verse 23, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer to his Father before going to the cross. And in this prayer, he's not just praying for disciples. He's praying for all future followers of Christ. He's praying for the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. And he says, Father, I in them and thou in me that they may be perfected in unity. Why? That the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. So we demonstrate the reality of Jesus Christ to a lost world by showing them a love that's greater than our differences, a love that unites us in the midst of diversity in the body of Christ. I love this statement by Ray Stedman. And this is what should be happening in the church family and what it should be producing outwardly. Listen to this great, great quote. The divine strategy by which the Lord intends to bring the world to the awareness of Jesus Christ is to create in the midst of the world a family, a family life, a shared life, which is so unmistakable and so filled with joy and warmth that worldlings observing it will envy it. And like homeless orphans with their noses pressed up against the window will long to join the warmth and the fellowship of the family circle. The remarkable thing is that when the church is like this, there is no more potent evangelistic thrust. This is the divine strategy to make all Christians share one life in a great family and so make the world starving for meaningful personal relationships simply drool with desire. So I want you to understand, yes, we're talking about loving one another, but it definitely has an impact on reaching the lost for Christ. Now look with me at our passage for today, and we're going to look there at uh, different characteristics of love. To be precise, seven different characteristics of love that he mentions in this passage. Uh, What real love would look like within the body of Christ as we express it to one another. So let's walk through these together. Look at the first characteristic. He says, love is sincere. In other words, God's kind of love, the love he wants expressed in the family of God is to be sincere, free of all hypocrisy. Romans 12, verse 9, the first half of that verse, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, Christian love, loving one another in the body of Christ is not only about what you do for another person, don't miss this, but why you do it. See, God just not only, he not only sees the action, he sees the motive and the attitude behind the action. See, love, what, what he's saying here, love, from God's perspective, becomes hypocritical. When you do something for another person with an ulterior or selfish motive to get something for yourself. Whether that's to be noticed by others, receive the applause of men or to get in good with them so that they'll reciprocate to, to, to your love, whatever it might be. Uh, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own good. That's Christian love. Let no one seek his own good. Let no one seek his own welfare, but that of his neighbor. And then down further in that same chapter, verse 31, Paul says, 
not seeking my own profit. I don't seek my own profit, but I seek what? The profit of many. In other words, Paul is saying, I actually uh, expend my life. I, I, I am laying not my life down uh, for others that they might find profit with no ulterior or selfish motive to gain anything myself. Look at the uh, second uh, characteristic of uh, true love as it should be expressed in the body of Christ. Love rejects sin, but receives the sinner. Love rejects sin, but receives the sinner. Notice he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And I believe that statement is, again, in the context of personal relationships. In other words, hate what is evil in people, but do not reject the person because of the evil. That's the Christian way. I'll say that again. Hate what is evil in people, but never reject the person because of the evil. In other words, that person, no matter how fallen, no matter how uh, distorted, twisted in sin, that person has been created in the image of God. And yes, that may, image may be smart, it may be spoiled. And not only is that person created in the image of God, but that is a person for whom Jesus loves, a person from who Jesus died for. So yes, I'm to hate the evil, but not to the point where I reject the person. Now, there's, there's two errors we can make here within the body of Christ. First, hypocritical love rejects the person because they do not behave according to an acceptable standard. Now, you know, we all have our standards, and if a person doesn't uh, uh, submit to those standards or live by those same standards and they get out from underneath of them, we have a tendency uh, to reject that person. And according to this passage, that would be hypocritical love. But there is an error that can happen the other direction. It's also hypocritical to condone the sin because you accept the person. You know, I'll give you a great contemporary example of this, homosexuality. Let's be very, very honest. Sadly, many Christians have shown nothing but hate and disdain for homosexuals. And that's wrong. Again, no matter how marred a person may be, and sin, no matter how he's twisted that being made in the image of God, that person is a creation of God, loved by God, who Christ died for. And so, I'm not to reject that person because of the evil that's in their life. Now, at the same time, it's also hypocritical to condone the homosexuality in order to what? Accept the person. And that's the, the tension that we have in the Christian life. Uh, just using that one example. We're, yes, we're to hate the sin, never to condone the sin. We never compromise the standards of God's Word. But at the same time, we would never reject the person. We show an unconditional love for that person. And folks, how can we not? I mean, we, more than anybody else, should know that this world is fallen. And that a fallen world that has rebelled against God is broken and it is twisted and it is perverted and it is corrupted. We should weep for these individuals. Our hearts should become broken for these individuals. 
And again, never condoning the evil that's in their lives, but at the same time not rejecting the person. And so that's a very, very important balance that we need to express even in our love towards one another. Uh, when a, a person maybe strays off, well, we again don't want to condone the sin, but we don't want at the same time to reject the person. Look at the third characteristic of true love is expressed in the family of God. Love's devotion and affection to others is based on the fact we are family. Love's devotion and affection to others, we're talking about within the body of Christ, is based on the fact we are family. Romans 12 verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Circle the word devoted and circle the words brotherly love. The word devoted uh, in the uh, Greek text literally refers to a natural family love. In other words, blood family. Not based on attraction, not based on desirability, but on a relationship. That's what that word means. Devoted refers to a natural family love that's based on nothing else but the fact that we are related. And then brotherly love refers to a tender affection that's literally felt in the heart among family members between a husband and a wife, or parents and their children, or children towards their parents. And what is being said here is that is the love that we should be, should be seen within the family of God. Because through redemption in Christ, through being adopted into God's family, we are brothers and sisters. And so it just comes down to this. It's no more difficult than this. It's no more complicated than this. If God has received you as his son or his daughter then I'm obligated to receive you as my brother or my sister. And if God loves you, then I am to love you. We are family. And we, as family, should know a tender affection towards one another that has nothing to do with attraction or desirability, but the fact that we are members of the same family and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the fourth characteristic of love. It says, love puts others first. Love puts others first. That latter part of verse 10, give preference to one another in honor. Uh, Circle that word preference. That word literally means going before or leading. Going before or leading. But the thought here, of course, is now putting yourself before others in regard to importance and worth. But the very opposite of that. You're to regard others more valuable. You're to regard others more important than yourself. And probably the greatest cross-reference you could ever find on this that uh, I allude to often is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, where it says, don't do anything. Don't do anything from selfishness. Don't do anything out of empty conceit to promote yourself, to put yourself up on a pedestal. But with lowliness of mind, with humility of mind, it says you're to regard others. And that word regard literally means to lead or to command. You're to let lead. You're to let command in your thoughts as you relate to one another in the body of Christ that others are more important than you. And then it says don't look out merely for your interest. Look out for the interest of others. And then what is this exhortation based on? Let this attitude 
That attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to selfishly cling on to, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death. That's what it means to give preference to one another in honor. It also means a good application here, we're willing to let others get the credit. You know, if we could ever get to the place in the church family where we didn't care who got the credit, life would be a lot more enjoyable, wouldn't it? And realize the issue is not us, it's about God and about loving others. Look at the fifth characteristic of love as God desires it within the family of God. Love remains enthusiastic despite setbacks. I think this is one of the uh, great evidences that a a person is truly filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, uh, because he's able to remain enthusiastic despite setbacks, and especially in relating uh, to other people. He, he just, you know, God, uh, as he's working in this individual's heart, gives him a love that just simply won't give up on an individual. Uh, you know, that's the greatest thing about Jesus' love. It's not that Jesus' love won every individual. It did not. I mean, they crucified him. Uh, Jesus himself said the road that leads to destruction, to eternal damnation is what? Broad, and many follow it. And he says the road that leads to eternal life is narrow, and few find it. So it's not that his love wins every individual, but the wonderful thing about his love is no matter what you did to him, you couldn't stop him from loving you. You could spit on him, you could beat him, you could scourge him, you could nail him on a cross, and he would just come back with love. And that's the evidence of a spirit-filled life, that I know a love that will bear up under all things with an individual. A love that will believe all things, a love that hopes all things, a love that endures all things, and then a love that, what, never fails. And I'm just quoting 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8. Well, how is it that love bears up with a very difficult person and never gives up, doesn't become uh, exasperated, doesn't give up with setbacks, but remains enthusiastic? It bears all things because it believes It places its confidence in God. I don't place my confidence in that person. I don't place the confidence in my ability to win that person. I place my confidence in God. That there's no heart so dark he cannot penetrate. There's no need so great that he cannot meet. And as long as I place my confidence with God, what's the next phrase? Love hopes all things. I have hope. I can continue to reach out. I can continue to invest because as long as I keep my focus on God with this individual, I'm never without hope. I mean, after all, he gave the apostle Paul what? That Damascus Road experience. Here was a man that was a blasphemer. He was out to destroy Christianity. And then, boom, in a moment, God penetrated the darkness of his heart with his light and brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, therefore, I'm never without hope. And that's why love endures all things, and because it endures all things, that's why love, what, never fails. It never gives up. It never stops loving. Look at verse 11 there. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. There's the key. 
the way we stay enthusiastic, the way we don't lag behind in diligence, the way we stay fervent in spirit is by keeping our focus on Jesus. In other words, you need to ask as you relate to another person, as you invest, as you give yourself, even in a difficult situation, why am I doing what I do, what I am, that I'm doing it? Why am I doing it? I mean, is it really my focus on Jesus to honor Him, to please Him? Or am I trying to get something for myself? I love Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Not in your sermon notes. It says, whatever you do, do your work what? Heartily. As for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. So, love remains enthusiastic despite setbacks. Look at the sixth quality of the love God desires us, desires us to show within the body of Christ to one another. Love rejoices in hope by being patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Love rejoices in hope by being patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Uh, this is very, very close to what we just looked at in that fifth point. Uh, Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer. Again, how do you rejoice in hope? You rejoice in hope by being patient in affliction. How do you remain patient in affliction? Prayer. Prayer. That should always be our first response as we deal with any person, as we deal with any difficult circumstance, to go to God in prayer. What does it say in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? You, most of you know that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Rejoicing in that hope. Let your requests be known to God. And what's going to happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love how those verses read from the paraphrase, the message. Let me share it with you. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. See, all worrying is, let's be honest. What is, when you, when you worry about a person or a relationship or a circumstance, all worry is is meditating on the problem, right? Well, we want to be transformed through the renewal of our minds. We want to turn those thoughts from our problems and put them on what? God, and place my confidence in God. It's going to give me hope and the ability to endure, to love a love that will never fail. So don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions, I love this, and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Amen? And then look at that last characteristic of love. Love meets needs in a personal way, especially by practicing hospitality. Look at verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints practicing hospitality. In other words, we'll, we'll see this more as we go through this study. Love doesn't love from afar. Uh, love gets up close and personal. Love is willing to get its hands dirty. 
uh, to get involved in the lives of, of people, li- involved with their struggles and their aches and their pains and their failures, uh, to love them and to try to benefit them and build them up in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, especially by practicing hospitality. Good cross-reference, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, be hospitable, hospitable to one another, I like this, without complaint. <laughs> without complaint. So those are the seven characteristics of true love. Love is sincere, free of all hypocrisy. Love rejects sin, but receives the sinner. Love's devotion and affection to others is based on the fact we're family. We're brothers and sisters with God as our father, Jesus our brother. Love puts others first. Love remains enthusiastic despite setbacks. Love rejoices in hope by being patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And love meets needs in a personal way, especially by practicing hospitality. Now, just very quickly, as we bring this to a close, look at the hindrances to practicing love. And let me just mention three. First, I think we would all admit that these are three big ones. First, fear of rejection. I'm afraid that if I really invest myself, that love may not be received. It may not be reciprocated. It's going to bring me hurt. It's going to bring me pain. And you need to realize when you love a person, it makes you very vulnerable, doesn't it? And when we get hurt and when somebody wounds us, uh, we have a tendency not to want to make ourselves vulnerable again. And so we sort of build up a wall to protect ourselves. That's never the way of Christ. Christ was willing to go to the cross for you and I. Not to build a wall, but to build a bridge to span that gulf. Now, I can't control your response. I can only be responsible for my life before God. But I am instructed later in Romans 12 to do everything in my power to be right with you. As far as it depends upon me. Again, I can't control your reaction. I can't control your response. But remember... What's God's greatest goal in my life anyway? It's to make me like Jesus, to teach me to love as He loved. So part of that is knowing wounds. Part of that is being hurt, that I will learn to forgive as Christ forgave, that I'll learn to continue to reach out and invest even when it is risky business, and I may even hurt myself further. That is the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's really the answer here if you, if you have a struggle with fear of rejection? You need to see how much you're loved by God. Your problem is you haven't seen how much God loves you. You haven't seen your value in the eyes of God. If you could ever see how much He really loves you, if you could ever see how valuable you are in the eyes of God, that would set you free to love others because you would be secure. See, fear of rejection is is evidence of what? Of insecurity. Of, of not feeling accepted. And see, God wants us to come to that place where through my relationship with Him, I find exception, acceptance. I find love. I find security, which then gives me the ability to risk loving others. Look at the second thing that often uh, is a hindrance to practicing love, and that's passivity. And in the body of Christ, what I mean by that is, sometimes we're always waiting for some ministry to get involved in. You don't have to wait for some ministry. This is meant to be spontaneous. And to be honest, I mentioned this last Sunday, that's what I've loved about this church. Uh, Being pastor, 
Uh, I probably know what happens a little bit behind the scenes more than the normal member. And it's amazing to me how every day of the week, 365 days out of the year, there are people in this church family loving one another in very unique and special ways. And it's not, they're not you know, doing this through some sort of planned, programmed ministry. Those things are good. Nothing wrong with that. Those have been raised up to be vehicles to love to express our kindness uh, to one another. But uh, don't wait for someone else to take the lead. Uh, don't wait for some ministry. You just, you just go with it. Go for it. Uh, be creative. Uh, step out and do something different if you want for somebody. Uh, but don't be a passive. And then probably the biggest one, well, I'll be honest, is the biggest one in my life, and that's preoccupation. We get so preoccupied with uh, our aims, our goals, our agenda on this particular day that we miss opportunities that God gives us. And I've shared this before from the pulpit. If you really study the Gospels, most of Christ's ministry to others happened just in spontaneous confrontations with people that were unplanned. Him just going from this city to this city, and on the way, he was confronted with people with needs, and instead of being preoccupied about where he was headed, he was willing to stop and focus on that individual. As someone created in the image of God that has value, that has worth, an individual that he loved, an individual that he came to die for, to minister to, so preoccupation. And then that last point, we'll close with this, practicing love. I want this to be very practical for you. So this week, I will practice love toward, and then in that next blank, you put that person's name. I'm actually asking you to do this right now, by the way. This is your assignment, okay? I don't want it to be a legalistic thing. I, I trust you catch the spirit of this, uh, but, but we, we want to take the opportunity. So I'm, what I'm suggesting, just say, okay, God, this week, just give me right now a name. Put a, put a name in my mind. Put a name on my heart. Somebody that I could reach out to. It may just be to thank them. It may be to encourage them. It may be to pray for them. Uh, Maybe somebody in my Sunday school class that I know that's in need or in this church family. Maybe a military family. And just want to express my appreciation for the incredible sacrifices they're making. Or uh, the trials and challenges that they confront. It could be a million different things. But that's what I would say. This week I will practice love toward put the name of that person by... And then you put on that next blank how you're going to demonstrate that love. So put the name of the person, and then what are you going to do to demonstrate? It may be your husband or your wife. This might be a good opportunity if you've been having problems to say, okay, I'm going to put my wife there. I'm going to put my husband there. And I'm going to demonstrate my love to them in this way, and, or whatever it might be. But uh, I trust you'll, you'll do that, and I trust you'll not just do that one time, but this will become... What I'm praying for, of course, a a lifestyle with us. And, of course, as I've already mentioned, for many of us, for many of you, for many of you, it is a lifestyle. And uh, that is what I've been so thankful for. But, again, we want to excel even more. Amen? Would you bow with me in prayer? Let me just suggest, uh, as you're in prayer, that you would take those sermon notes, (coughs) 
and just find some time uh, today or the early part of next week where you could just get alone with God and just walk through those seven characteristics and just ask God to evaluate your life. That's how change comes. Remember, how did we say it comes? Through a surrendered life to God. God, I want to surrender my life to you. I present to you my body as a living sacrifice to love as you love. I know I can't do it in my own strength. I need to know your transforming power. But, Lord, as I evaluate my life, I pray you're going to begin to change my thinking. That I'll start putting others first. And that you'll give me the grace and the ability through the Holy Spirit. That's how change comes. A surrendered life by bringing your life in harmony with God's Word, submitting to it, and then stepping out in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to obey it. And so what I'm suggesting again, you would just take some time to evaluate your life before God, those seven qualities, and then ask God to be that power at work in your life, transforming you into that. And it is a process. Let's not get discouraged. This does not happen overnight. It is a lifelong process, and it won't be complete till we see Jesus. I haven't come close to arriving as your pastor. I admit it. I'm far behind many of you. Uh, And that's why I look to many of you as examples worth following in my own life. But it's a process for all of us, and we're at different places in that process. The key is that we're moving in the right direction, Uh, whether it's slow or fast, as long as we're moving in the right direction. Even if it's one step forward, two steps back, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus and you keep moving forward. And uh, so I ask you to do that. And then uh, I do trust uh, God will lay that person on your heart uh, where you could uh, take the truth of this message and express it some way uh, this next week uh, to them. Father, uh, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you loved me. You loved us unconditionally. You loved us when we were enemies of the cross. You loved us Um, even when we despised you. I think of my own life. How as a teenager, I deliberately, intentionally rejected you. I turned my back on you. I turned my back on the church to do what I wanted to do, to be my own God, and to live my life the way I lived it. And I didn't give you a thought. Yet you loved me through those dark days. You loved me in that rebellion, even as you loved the prodigal son who eventually found himself in that pig pen and came to his senses and returned to his father. So, Lord, thank you for a love like that, a love that hates the evil, sees it as cancer in our soul, but never stops loving the person. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us that love within this family of God, within this church, And that those seven characteristics we looked at today would more and more become a part of our lives and we would excel in them even more. Again, thank you for this church family. Thank you that all seven of those things I've seen over these 40 years, beautifully expressed. But again, Lord, give us grace to abound even more, to increase in that love, to excel more. Which in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. As the invitation is extended today, I'll be here at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature. Uh, Possibly uh, you're here and you would desire to come forward to acknowledge that you're placing your faith in Jesus Christ or you have recently placed your faith in Jesus Christ 
And without shame, you want to acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior, become a part of this church family where you would grow and follow Him. Possibly you're a believer and you've been visiting and God is leading you to be a part of this church family. And uh, we would invite you to come right now so I have an opportunity just to get your face before the people so that we can begin loving you. We can begin praying for you and then we'll take you through that full process uh, to church membership. So uh, please stand and uh, you just uh, respond to the truth that you've heard and I'll be here to greet anyone that has a decision.